hello, I am your host, Karen Doyle, and welcome to The Genius Podcast. The Genius Podcast is part of a much bigger initiative for Catholic women called The Genius Project. The heart of The Genius Project is dedicated to equipping and supporting women of all ages and stages of life to discover what it is that God has placed within their hearts to do, giving them the permission to follow that God whisper and dream, and then equipping them with the knowledge and practical skills to make it happen. If you are looking to discover what it is that you are called to do with your life, If you have a dream or a passion, but you lack the skills and confidence to take that next step, or you just need some great advice on living your vocation as a Catholic woman, then this podcast is for you. Today's genius guest is Kate Seselja. Kate has been a very good friend of mine for many years, but what she has to share in this podcast has the power to really change our outlook on how we view shame and how we can overcome it. Kate uses her own lived experience to create change. Her 12-year struggle with a gambling addiction to poker machines almost took her life. This passionate Catholic mum of six has turned her experience into a mission to educate, inspire and create change in the areas of advocacy in gambling reform. Kate founded the Hope Project, which is designed to tackle proactive prevention of struggles with programs focusing on emotional intelligence and resilient skill building. The Hope Project partners with the United Nations. Kate is a World Kindness Australia Goodwill Ambassador and a TEDx speaker. In this week's episode, Kate and I are talking about the journey towards overcoming shame how we can do this and why it's important. We also unpack topics about self-care. And I know if you're anything like most women, we don't tend to do this very well. So I want you to sit back, relax and enjoy this conversation with Kate Seselja. I feel doubly blessed because not only do I get to talk to you this morning, but tonight we get to catch up again in our sisterhood group, which is going to be great. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to that. But how much has our group been a gift to us? I think we've been meeting sort of every fortnight for the last, what, 11 years? Yes. I know one of the topics that we're going to talk around today is this idea of vulnerability and shame. But I think if I look at my life, the one person that stands out as teaching me about the gift and the power of vulnerability has been you. You have taught me, I think, one of the most powerful lessons around this topic and it's and it's something that I'd love to talk around with you this morning. I don't know, do you remember that night way back in Jerobombra? It was like, I can't even remember. How, do you remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were, you know, meeting, we'd been meeting together, five women in our connect group for a couple of years, I think. And um, remember one particular night, like everything had been really lovely and we'd been sharing, we were growing in our friendship and connection. That one night you came and obviously you'd been carrying quite a burden in your life and you just shared with us that night and it was so powerful and so beautiful. And I, even all these years later, I still, it really touches me. But I remember what it did for our group and the gift that it was is it opened the door and it gave all of us permission to take our walls down that we'd all, you know, we all have walls where we share what we think people want to hear or what's comfortable to hear. And the gift that you gave us was just breaking those walls down completely. And we all came together and we've just developed quite an intimate group from that point on. 
So I don't know, would you take us back and just share with us, I guess, your experience of that night? Probably wasn't the gift that I <laughs> felt it to be. You probably were quite the opposite. Well, I, I think I, I was just so, so exhausted from holding up a facade, you know, um, yeah. and it, it, it was just this, you know, rising up in me on the drive there thinking, um, you know, I'm, I'm really struggling with this mm-hmm. and um, I have been for a long time and if I don't share this with these women, then what the hell am I here for? Yeah. And it, it just, it made me, you know, it was just one of those moments that helped me align more fully as me, you know, yeah. in, in my humanness. And while we try and pretend that we've got it all together, we're trying to maintain two or perhaps three versions of ourselves at any one moment. And that just, as I said, became so unsustainable Mm -hmm. that I couldn't maintain it anymore. And so I shared with you, ladies, that Mm -hmm. I had struggled for a long, long time since an 18-year-old girl with Mm -hmm. gambling addiction. Mm. And it had been this absolute toxin in in my mind and my body that I hadn't properly even understood at that point, but I knew I needed to talk about it and let you know that you know, I was not okay. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know what you thought our reaction would be, but I remember we just I just remember us all going, oh, my gosh, we can't believe you've been carrying this and we had no idea and we just wanted to support you. And that was, you know, one of the most shocking parts of me becoming more and more vulnerable was that I I guess I kept preempting people's responses to what I was going to tell them. And, you know, one of the mantras that was going through my head all those years was if anyone ever finds out about this, you know, I'll, I'll kill myself because yeah. I, I just didn't think I could be on the other side of that shame being exposed. Yeah. Uh, but but not actually recognising that I was just daily marinating in it yeah. and how how poisonous it was. Because it is, isn't it? Like, I mean, that's a huge amount of shame to carry. And I guess, I don't know, I won't speculate on your experience, but I can imagine it's that fear of rejection, isn't it? That if someone saw the real you, then they wouldn't love you or they wouldn't want to be in friendship with you. Is that how you perceived it? I I believed it would change everything. Mm. And what I didn't realise that it did change everything, but for the better. Yeah. And um, did you did you actually find that that by being vulnerable and being honest, more authentic that it did help? 100%. Yeah. 100%. Um I mean it's it's challenging. I'm not saying Absolutely. It, you know that there's um a, thera- a parade thrown and yeah. that everything is cool and it's all fun, but yeah. it's it's it provides the opportunity for growth. If, if we stay stuck and if we stay trapped by shame, then there is nowhere else to go but for it to escalate. Yeah. And when we do become vulnerable and share what, what is 
bothering us or eating us alive, then there's that opportunity for growth and development and, and yeah. forgiveness and, you know, yeah. all of the, the amazing gifts and grace to impact our lives. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just like I know having walked with you in our group for all these years, like it's not, it wasn't like you share and then it's all over. Hey, like it's a long road, isn't it? It's like abracadabra, we're all good now. Yeah. <laughs> I wish, I wish. But it was a very long journey of recovery, wasn't it? Walking out of that place because shame is all about lies. Like things that happen to us when we're younger, we attach meaning to or we're told messages about ourselves and we internalise those, we might not even be conscious of them when we're really young, but somehow they play out in our lives as we get older. And for you, it was in this area. So there's a lot of unlearning, isn't there, of those negative messages. So talk to me about, and I know like not only have you had this as your own experience, but now you have gone on to help like so many people around the world, which we'll get to in a little bit because that's truly inspiring in itself. But I'm really interested in how you, I guess, walked out of those lies and that shame because that shame is a prison, right? Totally. And so how how do you get out of that? <laughs> like when you're really, and you've been, as you said, marinating in it for years, how do you actually step out of that? It was really and truly as I said, embracing my humanness and being okay with it and not rushing the process. You know, people asked me recently, well, how long does recovery take? And I was like, but if you're asking that question, you're asking the wrong question. Seeing the moments of each day of, you know, sort of catching yourself um, in your thoughts or in your actions and kind of having taking that observer's um look at what is going on and not yeah. from that emotional reactive um, yes. place and and being kinder to you and asking questions being curious and that is all the pathway out of um shame and you know I think that it's something that I struggled with as a Catholic of, yeah. um, you know, I went to reconciliation and I, I had a, a relationship with God and I was like, so why am I not fixed? You know, <laughs> yeah. why, mm-hmm. why, you know, why isn't there that magic solution? And it's, I think it's that separating God's forgiveness, which is total and amazing and, and perfect. But if you aren't open to actually receiving it, like he's there giving it to you, but if you're clinging and still surrounded by your own shame, you don't feel worthy of it. So Mm. it, it doesn't, you know, it, it can feel nice and it can feel like, you know, you can take a breath and you can feel like, okay, I'm trying to repair my relationship with God, but, you're actually not in a state to really transform in 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 and through that pain, yeah. Um, and look at it for what it is and how it is meant to call you on to growth, and actually illuminate areas in within yourself and within society that need attention and need yeah. your focus and your experience. We rob ourselves of 
of all of that knowledge when we only focus on what we're doing wrong. We, we're missing the opportunity for it to actually have an impact for positive growth. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I like what you said just about that frustration in those early days where you said, you know, you would go to reconciliation, you go to prayer and you're like, why aren't I changed or why isn't God helping me? And it's, it's, it's such a process, isn't it? And we're not good with patience or the process quite often. Yeah. And I think it's the fact that it takes a lot of time. I think, I think if you're going to work, walk your way out of these experiences and out of the prison of shame, it does take a lot of time and a lot of patience because there's a lot of habits and strongholds and mindsets that have been ingrained. So like while you might go to reconciliation and you might go to prayer, you also have to do the work too, don't you? like on a practical level, like every day, I guess there's that scripture, you know, take every thought and make it obedient to Christ. And I think so much of the time, I know in my life, we have that static voices or the static noise that's the background to everything we do. And I guess what you're talking about is being really tuning in in a very mindful way, just check in with yourself to say, you know, oh, I felt that you know, what does that mean? Where is that coming from? But that takes a lot of space, right? It does. And, you know, I'm talking a woman through this process at the moment. She's, you know, just in such a frenzied state because she's so distressed about money. She's so distressed mm. about the situation that she's finding herself in. And she she actually texted yesterday, I, I'm just so overwhelmed. I can't think straight. And I said, that's exactly right. That's why you do need to talk to somebody because when you're in that frenzied state, and I mean, I lived there for well over a decade, you are not in your conscious, intentional, intelligent part of your mind. You are operating from your emotional, reactive, childlike Mm -hmm. um, part of your brain. And it is impulsive and it is reckless and it is not designed for best practice. It's (laughs) designed to to get you, you know, a a quick fix and 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 an immediate solution. And that's where I lived my life for such a long time. And in not understanding that, just that in and of itself, not having an awareness of that's how my brain was operating and that's all it was capable of at that point in time. Yeah. That went such a long way to help me to step out of my shame okay. because until I understood how my body was operating in that state, I kept being angry with God for making me defective. Yeah. And that, again, causes a barrier of you actually accepting God's grace and forgiveness and love and all of that you know, proper connection. If you're actually harboring some hatred towards your creator, um, (laughs) but not not actually, uh, like none of it was I consciously aware of until I did this reflection, obviously. You know, it it was so incredible for me to then have some kindness for my body, for my brain, for its design. It was designed to help us flee, you know, if, if we have to, a scary situation. And what my body had not recognised was it was perceiving that I was in a threatening situation day in, day out. All day, yeah. Yeah. 
And that's that fight or flight response, isn't it, that you're talking about? Like we, you know, we power up to escape a traumatic or a threatening situation. But what you're saying is because of addiction and because of that cycle, you were just perpetually living in this heightened state of being ready to flee. Yeah. And that's not healthy for anybody. No. Yeah. It, it causes chronic stress on yeah. your your internal systems. And, um, you know, what I've now come to understand in, you know, studying trauma and, and the body and the mind and the, the nervous system, it's just given me such incredible insight that I now share with others. But until I I had that understanding and connection to me, both physically, mentally, emotionally, then I was operating at a loss. I kept thinking it was just down to me not having a strong enough will. Yes. You know? And it isn't and that, is it? Like it's, I mean, addiction is, no. is far beyond that. Yeah, it's yeah. not only for the weak. It's, it's yeah. that, you know, any person is vulnerable to being overwhelmed by a variety of factors and whether or not that leads you down a path that you go into overworking or overexercising or overeating or whatever that looks like in your life. It, it, it can take many forms and some are socially acceptable and some are not. not yeah. And But we have to be more aware of the human pain that's driving it and recognise what it's actually signalling to us, that we're in an environment that is harming our wellbeing and that we need to take time and space to reconnect to to our body, mind, spirit and, you know, realign our beliefs. And because I think, you know, there's that saying, I think it's Richard Raw that says what is not transformed in us is transferred. So if we have these negative mindsets and if we're reacting and responding to things that are happening to us without being mindful, then obviously that pain in us, is going to be transferred onto those around us. So that might be our husbands, our children in the workplace or in ministry, and that sets up a really unhealthy cycle in itself. So I guess for yourself, you have six beautiful children and a beautiful husband. But was that did that sort of spill out for you onto those around you? Oh, 100%. Yeah. yeah. It, was, it was something that I, you know, was conscious of in one respect, but but oblivious to in in another respect. You know, when you are so overwhelmed, it's very hard for you to understand, you know, your impact. own needs, let alone yeah. the needs of those around you. And you know, I I had I said to someone recently, you know, I, I could have flogged myself for you know, forever Mm. about the mistakes that I've made as a wife, as a mother, as a friend, but none of it will yield good results moving Mm -hmm. forward. Mm -hmm. It's it's about understanding that I was doing my best with what I had available at that time and being not expectant of forgiveness, but being real and open about how it was for me at that point in time. And being patient with those that haven't yet, you know, understood it for themselves because they've never lived it or, you know, just just creating that space for open dialogue around it was was really, really vital. And still to this day, you know, I say to my children, if there's anything 
that you ever want to talk about. Nothing is off limits. You know, I'm, I'm okay with, and and I've been very public about the mistake that I've made. Yeah. And and also, yeah, absolutely. And I do, like, I really admire you. Like, I, you know, I do recall those first few times where you started to step out and it was incredibly scary to just bear your soul and to be honest and real. But I think in doing that, what you've done is you've given a lot of people permission to do the same. And I think moving into, I guess, like shame, like really defining shame is around, I guess we can feel guilt over what we've done, but shame is actually mm-hmm. saying like we're bad or that we're, we're, we're a failure. Not so much what we're yeah. doing is bad or a failure, but actually who we are. And I guess when you live out of that place, it's it's hard to climb out of it. But one of the ways, you know, Brené Brown, who we both, you know, have read and love, she has done a lot of work on vulnerability and shame and she talks about the antidote to shame being vulnerability and connection mm-hmm. with other people. And that's definitely been a huge part of your journey, hasn't it, is, is connecting with people who I guess experienced a similar struggle and then out of that and beautifully out of that you've been brought to a place now where you're in a position to be a mentor and to work alongside people to show them the way out of that addiction because you no longer struggle with that yes I think with what I went through me deciding to speak about it publicly was not a you know oh I quit gambling on Tuesday and started public (laughs) speaking on Thursday and you don't work like that no it's it was a it was a, a journey and a, and a process and so you know it started with me just having coffees with you know my friends and family members and sharing with them on a Monday night I was going to a recovery group and then mm-hmm. after eighteen months of going along I realized I was sitting there not for me but to make sure that any new person coming in was going to be understood in a way that had, you know, helped transform me. Yes. And then um, an opportunity came to actually train to be a facilitator to take over the group. And so I did that. And then I trained to be a lived experience speaker in the gambling space because at that time no one really was talking about it publicly. And And I found out that over 400 people a year take their life in this country due to gambling addiction. I thought I have to help people, you know, not feel like that's it. You know, I I had almost taken my life in 2012 and the only reason I'm still sitting here right now is I was pregnant with our sixth child and she stopped me from taking my life that night. And... I I knew that despair, I knew that hopelessness that had really taken root in in my heart. I thought if if this is as good as it gets, then my family, everyone is better off without me. And I didn't I didn't want to go, uh, but I didn't know how else to live. Yeah. And that's what I encounter every day with people of a variety of addictions is they they just simply don't know how else to keep existing yeah. day in, day out. And that that is because we've really, really 
failed on a number of fronts on, you know, only purely focusing on academic intelligence. We've missed the opportunity to really instill a sense of uniqueness and a connection to our emotional intelligence and what it's actually designed to indicate to us. And then we've created all of these really, really toxic environments and products and things that are available that intentionally exploit human vulnerabilities. And then we label people for actually falling into those traps. Now, when I was an 18-year-old kid, I didn't walk into a club thinking, you know what, today I'm going to go and get myself a gambling addiction. That's exactly what I want. You know, I had intentionally stayed away from drugs because my brother had sat me down at 13 and said, Kate, you know, don't try drugs. You know, no one's life is better, you know. After drugs. Don't go go down that path. And I was like, okay, that makes sense. I don't want to be a drug (laughs) addict, so I won't try drugs. Yeah. Unfortunately, no one told me that um, poker machines are as addictive as cocaine. Yeah. So um, that, you know, it's seeing the whole picture here as a society and how we have a very shame culture, a very judgmental um, labelling culture. And once a person feels like they've been labelled something, well, you're essentially removing hope from them. Yeah. So I'm a, I'm a bit rogue in the way I, I deal with recovery. <laughs> I don't even call it recovery. I call it um, restoration yeah. um, because I love that. people deserve to feel whole. You know, no one should deprive anyone of their wholeness, no matter what they have done or encountered in their life. No one gets that right to judge. There's only one that can judge. Yeah. and Yet as human people, we we do that on the daily and don't think anything of it, but it wounds people. It wounds people so deeply. And I am not an addict. I was addicted, but I am not an addict. I am a human being yeah. who struggled with gambling. Yeah, That's a very, very, it, it might sound like it's just words and it's just semantics, but it's not. It's no, it's very, it's very powerful because it becomes an identity, doesn't it? Yes. Like it actually becomes an identity that you live out of. And, you know, I mean, obviously our identity is that we are the beloved daughters of Christ, of God, the Father, before anything else. I think that's, you know, that is our truest identity. And then there's yeah. masks and facades and all these other things that we accumulate throughout our life. And it's about really returning to that place. Like you use that word restoration, which I just love because it's, it's that it's been given back to you. So I guess, you know, like there's so many women today who, I mean, they might not have an addiction, but they might struggle with self-esteem or body image or just trying to find their place in the world, mental health issues, difficult marriages. You know, there's so many different areas that we struggle with in life. And Mm. I think, you know, taking on identities can be really powerful and can keep us trapped in that prison of shame that we're talking about this morning. But I guess, Kate, you know, like all these different struggles that, I mean, you and I have walked with many women alongside and and say they're not full-on addictions. I guess advice, practical things that people can do when they find themselves in a position of, of that overwhelm, of really struggling. Because, I mean, I've shared this with you. I've walked with quite a few women whose husbands 
for example, have pornography addictions or have had affairs. And so there's a real overwhelm for them. There's a lot of women that I walk with as well that just really struggle to find their place in the world, struggle to find their gifts or their passion or, or what it is they're meant to do, I guess. And, and the overwhelm that comes through different issues such as body image or mental health struggles. I'm always interested in the practical because we can talk around concepts, but I always love some take-home practical things in my hands that I can actually do. So I, what do you think? Like women who might find themselves in a position of being overwhelmed by shame, overwhelmed by just circumstances of life and, and pain, like what mm. can they do to, to practically speaking? What I discovered was if we want to find an antidote to overwhelm, then we have to understand well, what what actually makes up our well-being and and therefore can we notice when it's being impacted and be intentional with our actions of, of how to restore it in in that time in that space in that moment and not just keep letting it accumulate um, and escalate so when I'm explaining to women because often yeah we, we're we're at the, the pointy end of you know I somebody saying I'm struggling with alcohol and I said no well there's pain that's driving that behavior and that's what I'm interested in not what what you're drinking or how much so let's look at getting to the root isn't it yeah definitely so is it a self-esteem issue is it um a self-care issue or is there some self-awareness that you haven't been you know, educated on or, or open to um, understanding another perspective, and you know, this is this is not a woo-woo thing. In Scripture, it tells us, "Love the Lord your God with all your mind, with all your heart, and with all mm-hmm. your soul." Yeah. So that is essentially where, when we're talking self-esteem, it's relating to our our soul, our spirit. Um, that that essence of us that can be snuffed out very, very quickly by the world who's trying to make everybody the same. When we, when we aren't connected to our uniqueness in that way, we, we feel lost, we feel uh, untethered. And so, you know, it, if it's a self-esteem, you know, part, then, then strengthen that part of you. The heart, the body is, is about self-care and Jesus you know, was very much about being here in his humanness for us to learn from. And I think that when we don't respect our body and what it's actually indicating to us, then we're, you know, missing a huge chunk of of ourselves and that's, that's vital. If you are feeling trapped by your mind, then know that there's always there's always more there's always something new to learn and um to not balk at I don't know how to fix this I don't know what I'm doing I don't know if I'm enough it means you just haven't sought enough counsel yet Um, And, and that's it it's about being creative and knowing where your goalposts are isn't it like it's really about and I think when people are overwhelmed, I know that women, they just don't know where to go to mm. to even begin like this yeah. process. So I think, I don't know, things that I would advise women to do is just to carve out, 
you know, that sacred space in the day where you can sit with God and bring to him whatever is in your heart, whatever you're struggling with, um, those areas of shame and to be real with him and to just sit quietly because Mm. there's real power in silence to settle our nervous system and just calm us and bring us back. You talk about mindfulness, bringing us back to the present moment. I think that's one is just carving out that sacred space each day. You touched on it about being intentional about restoration. And I think what you said about body, mind, soul, and spirit, like just the integration of all of that. So practically like getting enough sleep and exercising and eating well, I mean, that has huge power. We underestimate the power that has in just impacting directly on our mindset and making yes. us feel better and more grounded, just just better all round, doesn't well, it? Well, and it, what, you know, and you, you've had family experience, a personal experience with this, is that our, our gut is actually our second brain. And mm-hmm. if we're feeding our body stuff that is actually... Um, causing inflammation, then we're not operating in a in a no. place that is, you know, conducive to good outcomes. So, yeah. inflammation in our body is an indicator of trauma, and it, and trauma can be caused by food. Um, yeah. Trauma can be caused by the ex- external environment that you're in, and um, just emotional your- stress too. All of that stuff. Yeah. yeah. So it's. It's very, very important to take a observing lens on what actually happening on a day-to-day basis um, and not just zero in on a certain behaviour or, or something that you feel you're falling short in because yes. you're missing all of the other information that is vital to you unpacking it and and understanding it at a deeper level i had a funny experience of this it's a bit more light (laughs) but last year when jonathan had his accident he shattered both his wrists and i had to do everything for him for a couple of months and in that initial phase he was in hospital so i was between the hospital and the home with three children and also trying to run our business during its busiest season and i was just on autopilot i was so tired i went to bed so late i was getting up at 5am to get stuff done. And so I don't drink coffee. So my default is Coke, (laughs) which is not good, but I was just drinking. And one day, this is so bad. I can't believe I'm actually publicly admitting this, but we're talking about shame and vulnerability. So I had five cans of Coke in a single day. And at the end of the day, I felt like rubbish. I felt so bad. And I was so angry at myself because it's just so unhealthy. And it just, I mean, that just kickstarted me into, you know, being more mindful, I think, of looking after myself. And I realised if I was going to carry this family through two months of Jonathan's recovery, then I had to be in a really good place and a really strong place. And so it became about being really intentional about eating, sleeping, exercising and just coping. And I think no matter what we're facing, I mean, obviously that's a light-hearted example, but... I mean, it was difficult at the time, but, you know, compared to the trauma that a lot of people are experiencing. So I think there's that carving out sacred space, being really intentional and about just those practical things of food, sleep, prayer, exercise. And finally, this point I really want to touch on is around hospitality. 
because I think as women, we are so good at caring for everybody around us and offering hospitality to everybody. But I don't think we're very good at offering the gift of hospitality to ourselves and really caring for, nurturing, nourishing and loving who we are. I, my husband would say I'm notoriously bad at looking after myself, but I am reforming, so I am getting better. But I think just having that space, I know over recent years, like I try to keep Fridays free. So I just do something on a Friday, whether it's going to adoration or prayer, just something for myself that's really yeah. feeding my soul. You know, there's different things that we can do for ourselves when we're in a state of trauma to offer that gift of hospitality to ourselves or just even just in general in the day-to-day busyness of life is about caring for ourselves you know the bible says we are the temples of the holy spirit and god's spirit dwells within us so i guess being good stewards over ourselves offering that gift of hospitality yes i think um it's a real indicator of the fact that i think people are less and less connected to to themselves and the tr- the truth of who they are that it, this is such a, a profound issue amongst not only women but men as well we're experiencing in in our culture um, of needing this external validation of who we are rather than it, it being driven from within and I, with the overwhelm as the kind of red flag I, that pain that that indicator that our body's been designed for is there to tell us something. We've just stopped listening. We've, yeah. we've really stopped listening and we've created a variety of ways to distract ourselves, numb ourselves, you know, run away from and escape the, the truth of confronting pain and moving to the other side of it and growing through it. And I think that that's really it, isn't it? Like when, if we're going to move out of shame, move out of overwhelm, mm-hmm. I guess, you know, getting more in touch with ourselves, becoming connected, being intentional. And then I think connection, the final one is connection with others because that's key, yes. isn't it? Having a community of people around you who will love you in your struggle and your strengths mm-hmm. and call you on, make you accountable throughout life. It's just so, so important. And people that, I guess Brené Brown says, you know, we don't air our dirty laundry, but we share with people who have earned the right to hear our story. So people that are obviously trustworthy, yes. who you've observed over time as safe people, they're emotionally safe people to unburden your soul to, it's just so important, that connection, isn't it? Like it's central to walking out of, I guess, the prison of shame. Just in finishing up is that this scripture, because I think, you know, your life and your journey is a beautiful example of this, that that scripture in Romans that all things work for good for those that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. And I, I think it's really important that people know no matter what they've been through, no matter what they're struggling with, like God can bring beautiful things out of it and I think you you know you hear people say I've been through this but I wouldn't change it now Mm. I don't know obviously we might like to spare ourselves from some of the pain and trauma of life but I Mm. guess when we've worked through something it's obviously not always just for our own good but then Mm. you know God also wants us to turn that around and give glory to him and point the way for others so that they can have a, a similar experience of walking through pain or trauma and coming out the other side. 
Mm-hmm. I love that those sayings that say, you know, you turn a mess into a message and a test into a testimony. I think mm-hmm. your life is a beautiful example of that because, you know, you, I know that you've been through so much and you've come out the other side and, and you're just giving back to people and walking alongside people in the most beautiful way. You have such empathy mm-hmm. and insight and it's just, it's very inspiring. Starting the Hope Project for me just made sense. You know, I, I felt like I needed to not just be okay with my own restoration and that God wanted more from me. And I think, you know, you use that word transformation, like starting with obviously, you know, the end result is that our pain is transformed and then we can help transform the world around us and the people around us and situations around us. And but so then prior to that is that personal transformation that happens, I guess, with an encounter with Christ who can restore all things and make all things new. Yes. Yes. Mm. That, that, um, you know, I remember, as I said, like crying out to him going like, why did you make me defective? And I just got this answer. Like I didn't make you defective. I selected you for this. Yeah. And, um, it was, just such a profound moment of realizing why why I struggled to the point that I did so that I would have the skills and the vernacular and the experience to draw on to help others out of that same darkness about, like it is it's about being a vessel like it's about yes. being a vessel sowing some seeds in the soil of someone else's life and yeah. I guess you know when you're working in the context of people with faith, it's pointing them to Christ ultimately, isn't it? Like pointing them to the answer that can heal everything. Yeah. Yeah, You're just, you're such a blessing in the lives of so many people, Kate, and just the way that you have, I guess, allowed your pain to be transformed. And it it takes courage to step out and share that with others. But I know that you've given lots of other people permission to do the same. And you've also walked alongside and helped so many people as they've walked out of similar struggles. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Kate Seselja. I know some of those topics can bring up all kinds of things for us. So if that's been your experience today, I want to really encourage you to take it straight to the Lord. Whether you can get some time before the Blessed Sacrament or whether it's just quiet prayer in your lounge room, I really want to encourage you to carve out that time and space to meet the Lord, to encounter Him, and allow him to begin that process of transformation. I love the quote that we both picked up on in this interview. That is, what is not transformed is transferred. So Christ wants you to experience and live in freedom. And he wants you to do this so that you can be free, but also so that you can bear witness to his power, his love, his mercy in the lives of those that you do life with. If you're interested in taking a look at the work that Kate does, why not head on over to her website, thehopeprojectnow.com and you can read about all the wonderful work that she's doing. Next week, we're going to be unpacking the journey of a female Catholic entrepreneur with Therese Nichols. This is a topic that I just love and the interview with her is just beautiful. So until next week, God bless you and have a beautiful week.